Good morning. I see you have the wrong color on today. It's a sea of red. It's good to be with you this morning. Hope you're ready for the rest of the holiday season. I think most of you know, um, but just I'm sure this will come up again if you haven't heard. Uh, we won't have Sunday school the next two weeks. Okay, so um, next two Sundays will be Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. There'll just be one worship service, I think, both those Sundays, and there will not be Sunday school. So um, I guess you can come if you want. Um, I, I don't know who else will be here, but I guess you'll find out if you do. So um, just in case you hadn't gotten that, that word. We're still in the Apostles' Creed since Labor Day. Um, we're not going to make it through the end of the year since we're missing a couple Sundays, but that's okay. Um, we found ourselves discovering, um, maybe for the first time, what, what a rich confession this is. Uh, a lot of you come from traditions that have used the creed. Some of you, if you're like me, came from traditions that uh, typically did not use the creeds. Um, and we focused on the Apostles' Creed. Uh, we'll take a side glance today at the Nicene Creed. Um, it's a Trinitarian Creed, uh, three articles. Uh, the first article is about the Father, right? Uh, the Creator, heaven and earth, uh, which is uh, a miracle. I mean, creating all that is out of nothing. And what, what could be, uh, what an incredible miracle. Uh, and then the second article is about Jesus, right? Jesus, the Son, uh, whom we celebrate this uh, Advent and Christmas season. And again, a miracle, a mystery. What, what does it mean that, that God takes flesh, that God is a God with us? God is Emmanuel, God with us. What, I mean, who can possibly get their head around that miracle, that mystery? Uh, that God is with us, that God has taken on human flesh, that God in the Son is fully God and fully human. And so we've lingered on that center article, the longest article about Jesus. And today we turn to begin the third article, uh, which begins, I believe, in the Holy Spirit. Uh, or as some of you learned to say when you were a lot younger, I believe in the Holy Ghost, right? Um, and this, this, this too is a miracle, right? Um, and every bit a miracle as the other two. Because as we'll see, the, um, the task, the purpose, the mission of the Holy Spirit is, is to bring to completion the work that God has begun in creation and redemption. It's to, it's to bring it all to its God's desired end, which is ultimate and full communion with God. And that's, as we'll see, is the mission, the task of the Spirit. Um, months and months and months ago, I have no idea when it was, when I made the mistake of asking you what you wanted the next series to be about. And um, we got lots of suggestions. Uh, one of the suggestions was the Holy Spirit. 
Um, and all that's to say, you know, we may get around to that someday. That will be, there's a lot to say about the Holy Spirit, more than you can say in 30 minutes, um, as you might guess. But I want to I want to just try to remind you, um, and maybe help you see some things, connections, maybe you hadn't seen before, I don't know. But we're going to do in 30 minutes what we can say about uh, this uh, third article, which is surprisingly... Not only is it about the Holy Spirit, but because it's about the Holy Spirit, it's actually about humanity. Um, we talked in the second article in the way that God in Jesus Christ brings together in one person, in the person of Jesus Christ, God and humanity, heaven and earth. And at, at this wedding of heaven and earth, this wedding of God and humanity is, is God's deepest desire. And so it's not surprising that the Holy Spirit who brings that to fruition is, is the opening of the third article. And the rest of the third article, the rest of the Apostles' Creed, is about how that's worked out in human life, as we'll see in the coming weeks. But today, we're focused on the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. And here, just a brief word about translation, because I've had more than one person ask me uh, since we began this, uh, series, they say, when I grew up, we talked about the Holy Ghost, and now we talk about the Holy Spirit. What, what happened to, who stole the Holy Ghost? Um, where, did, where did the ghost go? Um, and this sort of picks up on Ron's big question from last week about translation, and this whole question about whether uh, the Lord's Prayer needs to be updated in that one phrase about, lead us not into temptation. Right? Um, just because it's a pastoral issue. And the same thing here, right? Um, a lot of you grew up on uh, the 1611 King James Version of the, of the, of the Bible, uh, where the Holy Ghost in the New Testament um, 90 times uh, in the Gospel is named as the Holy Ghost. For some reason that apparently the only God knows, the King James Committee seven times translated it as Holy Spirit, and there's no rhyme or reason to why the seven times it isn't called the Holy Ghost. Um, but that, that created a, a number of problems. Um, the translation problem I'll get to, but there's actually a few sort of marginal splinter churches in the United States who actually make the argument that the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit are two different things. Okay. Um, it's not my place to tell them they're mistaken, but I think they are. <laughs> right. Uh, in, in the Greek, it's just the same word, absolutely the same word. There's, no, there's nothing in the Greek translation that would say make a distinction between translation-wise. Right. Um, so the reason it was originally, in 1611, translated as Holy Ghost, I mean, the word spirit in, in Greek and Hebrew both have this notion of spirit, breath, wind, right? Um, the idea that in, in the Genesis account that God breathes into us the breath of life. That spirit is, is life. Right? Spirit is life. Um, we even we use, use it that we'd say, like, how's your spirits? Like, how, how are you doing? Do you have any life? Do you have any vitality? Um, say, no, I'm kind of down in the dumps. Like, I don't feel like I'm not feeling it today. 
right? And so we have this notion that the spirit is life, and it's interesting in the Nicene Creed. That's one of the ways that the Nicene Creed identifies. So believe in the spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, right? The life giver. And so the notion that somehow our life has been breathed into us by God, that we have been inspirited, right? Um, are animated, right? We're animated beings. Animate is just a Latin word for spirit, right? We are animated <clears throat> creatures. And when the life goes out of us, the spirit goes out of us, the breath goes out of us, we're no longer animated, right? We're just flesh. Right? And so the challenge when the... King James Version was translated. How do you translate this notion of breath or spirit or, or life? Um, ghost was not a bad word. I mean, back then, ghost had this notion of spirit. This is hard for us to imagine, of, of a life of a living being. Um, and spirit back then, and you, you can kind of get this notion from even, even reading Shakespeare, right? A spirit was often an apparition. Right, as we think of as a ghost. Okay? And so what's happened over the last 300 years is the word ghost and spirit have actually reversed their meanings. Now, in 21st century English-speaking countries, we think of a ghost as an apparition. Right? And the spirit as being something that's vital in us. Right? And so that's why most translations of both the Creed and your New Testament no longer use the Holy Ghost. Right? It's a pastoral issue about, like, languages change over time. Languages are alive. They're not static. Which means you have to keep, as I was trying to say last week, you have to keep changing what you're saying to say the same thing. Right? Be because languages change, if you say the same thing, Century after century after century, you find yourself saying something different that you didn't mean to say. That's why we keep using different translations, right? As we're trying to say the same thing. But to say the same thing, you have to say it differently, right? So, as some people said, you're trying to, you're trying to tell the same story differently without telling a different story. Okay? And the challenge is, if you don't change what you're saying, you'll end up saying, you'll end up telling a different story. So that's why, for the most part, we no longer use the language of Holy Ghost. So that was just an aside, no extra charge for that. <laughs> so what can we say um, about the Holy Spirit? Um, we're just going to focus on on three things in the 20 minutes that we have. Okay talk a little bit about um, the, the person, right? Uh, who is the Holy Spirit? A little bit of the, the work of the Holy Spirit, and then a little bit about, so what? All right? Um, having taught for a quarter of a century, I know that's what my students really care about. Like, can we just get to the so what part? <laughs> right? Like, why should I care? Right? And so I always try to get to that. Um, because you don't assume that people care about what you care about. You've got to help them know why they should care. So I hope to get to that. But I think you might care. So if I don't get to that, I will. So what do we want to say about the Holy Spirit? 
Um, well, let's talk a little bit about what the Holy Spirit isn't. I mean, the Holy Spirit isn't, um, it's a little bit ne neglected. Um, when we went through the book of Acts years ago, I don't remember when that was, don't have that kind of memory. Um, you know, the, the book of Acts is really about the work of the Spirit in the, in the early church. And it's easy to sort of let the Spirit be the sort of uh, stepchild. Um, we talk a lot about Jesus, as well we should. Um, and we talk a little bit about the Father. Um, in lots of Christian circles, not all, but lots of Christian circles, we talk considerably less about the Spirit. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, in some ways, the Spirit encourages that, as we'll see. Um, one way to think about the Spirit is the Spirit in Scripture is itself what I would call self-effacing. Do you have self-effacing friends? Or any of you self-effacing? You know what that word means? Self-effacing means you don't draw attention to yourself. You're always drawing attention to other people. Right? You're always sort of deferring, deflecting. And really the Spirit is that way. Um, in nowhere in Scripture do you get the impression that the Spirit is trying to draw attention to itself. Um, the Spirit is not. The Spirit is drawing attention to Jesus. Right? In, in, the, in some of the great uh, Eastern Orthodox icons, um, some of the most beautiful ones, they never paint. You don't paint or write an icon of God because that's, that's idolatry, right? There's, there can't be any images. But they use Old Testament and New Testament stories and illustrate them in ways that are suggestive. And it's interesting, one of the most famous ones is this one um, that's based on, the, on Genesis 18, where these three sort of shadowy figures come to visit Abraham. And this is a famous icon of the Trinity, supposedly, in the Eastern Orthodox Church. What's beautiful about it is, is the, the three set in a kind of circle. And Jesus sort of has his head uh, sort, of, uh, sort of deferring, sort of leaning towards the Father. And the Spirit has the Spirit's head sort of nodded and directed towards the Son. And there's a sort of beautiful circular gaze, right, uh, where the Spirit defers to Jesus and Jesus defers to the Father, right. Um, and so the Spirit is, is God, right. And this was hard coming to the church, just as we said that the creeds were written over centuries, right. Uh, the early church didn't wake up after Jesus ascended and say, now that Jesus is gone, we just need to rile this down. We got it all figured out. Um, no, they didn't. And it, it was hard won, these confessions. And so when we stand up and say these creeds, we need to realize this is, this is actually the work of the Spirit, interesting enough, over generations of Christians doing what Jesus said the Spirit would do in the book of John, which is lead them, lead the the people of God into all truth, right? The Spirit will lead you into all truth. And we believe and trust that that's what the Spirit has in fact done and made it possible for the early Christians to reflect on their experience of Jesus and their experience of the Spirit. And to be able to say in 
the Nicene Creed that the spirit is worshipped and glorified, right? Which is a very dangerous thing to say, right? If you come out of a, a Jewish context, right? Where there is only one God. So we're in deep waters here. Um, there's no way that we can explain the Trinity. We don't, as Christians, try to explain the Trinity. We confess that the God that we have met in Jesus Christ is rightly named Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right? That, that we meet God in this way. We meet one God, not three gods. Right? Um, and we don't meet God who sort of morphs into different things. Right? That was an early heresy. Right? Maybe there was the creator God who then became, stopped being the creator God and became like a human person and then stopped being a hermit person and then became a spirit. That was an early false teaching. Right? You probably have good friends who think of God that way. You don't need to call him a heretic. That doesn't get us anywhere. Um, but just so you know, that's not what the church is saying. Right? We're also not saying that um, God sort of has three parts. Sort of God the Father's a third, you know, God the Son's is a third, and the Holy Spirit's a third, and all together they make one God. Like a third and a third and a third equals one. No. Right? All three are fully God. I can't explain how that's so. That's just what the that's what we confess. That's what we confess. And yet it's still one God. Right? And so the Spirit is not some sort of amorphous blob. It's not, it's, um, we're probably in the wrong generation to be, I doubt if most of you lined up Thursday night to see Star Wars. Am I wrong about, I, I got this crowd wrong? Oh, sorry. Sorry. I knew there'd be an outlier somewhere. The rest of you waited till Friday. Matinees. Um, but, but the Holy Spirit is not some kind of like amorphous force. It's not like the force be with you. Right? That's not what the Spirit is. The scripture uses personal language. Right? Um, remember in the, in the book of Acts, um, in chapter 5, you have that really disturbing story about Ananias and Sapphira. Right? Remember, they, they sell some property and they hold back part of it and they say they bring the whole part to the church. And, right, and, and, and they're said, and what's there, this, this, these words are said to them You have lied to the Holy Spirit. Right? You don't lie to a force. Right? And it goes on to say, You have lied to God. Well, that's interesting. Right? A verse later. Um, we could go all kinds of places. Um, Jesus, in, in the book of John, says that the Holy Spirit will bear witness to me. Well, again, forces don't bear witness. Um, so that there's this sort of personal language. Um, now, to be clear, the Holy Spirit isn't a person. It's always dangerous to use personal language because the Holy Spirit isn't a person in the way that you and I think of a person. Because when you and I think of a person, we think of a distinct individual. That's actually not a very helpful way to think of a person either. Um, but that's our Western heritage. 
what really makes people interesting, what makes a person, a human person, a person, is we have this capacity, this divine capacity, to live inside each other. Don't we? Really? I mean, we do. Right? We've talked about this before. Um, if I ask you to take a piece of paper and, and write down 10 people who you are absolutely sure that you would not be apart from them, you could do that. And you would be absolutely sure that that's the case. Because there's a sense in which those people dwell within you in some type of way that can't really be named, but you know it's true. And so do I. Um, other parts of creation don't do that in the same way, right? Um, you, now, interesting, notice this. There can be a part of creation that you can take inside, but part of creation doesn't take you inside, right? You might think all the wonders of creation, they have somehow, they, they partly make up who I am. You don't make up who they are. <laughs> they don't reflect on you, <laughs> right? This is, this is peculiar to the human person, is that we are capable of what theology calls mutual indwelling. We can mutually indwell each other, which is what Jesus says is the relationship between himself and the Father, right? Jesus says, I, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Right? That they both dwell in each other. Jesus also goes on to say, and you are in me, and I am in you. Well, how is Jesus in us? By the Holy Spirit. Because <coughs> Jesus says in, in the Gospel of John, if I go away, I will send another advocate, another comforter, so that I will be with you. The, Jesus' presence is with us. So even though, and this is extraordinary, even though we said that in the creed that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, and there we, we reminded ourselves that wasn't a place, that was a, a function of authority, there's also a sense that Jesus says, when I go, I will send another. Right? So this is not Jesus, but it's the spirit of Jesus. The same spirit that animated Jesus. Jesus was who he was as both God and human because he was a human being who was completely animated by this particular spirit. Right? The Holy Spirit. And so on this third Sunday of Advent, you know, one of the, if you were in Lessons and Carols in the sanctuary today, um, the third Sunday of Advent is often a Sunday in which we uh, remember Mary, right? And remember that the, the Holy Spirit showed up in the second article of the Creed too, right? Um, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, right? In the Virgin Mary. So, born of the Virgin Mary. So, Jesus, particularly in the Gospel of Luke, is the man of the Spirit. He's conceived by the Holy Spirit. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember when he goes and preaches his first sermon, he quotes Isaiah, right? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
And so he, he is the man of the Spirit. But then he's, when he leaves, he says, I, I'm going to send the Spirit to you. This is the miracle. That the very same Spirit that animated the life of Jesus, Jesus has asked the Father, and the Father has sent this Spirit to us to animate our lives, both individually and as the body of Christ. To bring to completion the work that God has begun. So that's just a little bit of what we want to say about, we could say so much more about the person of Jesus, but of the Spirit. But we're also already, by talking about the person, already talking about the work of the Spirit. What is the Spirit doing? Well, all kinds of things. All kinds of things. It's bearing witness to who Jesus is. It's bearing witness to who who Jesus is. Because Jesus is the, the center of our life. And Jesus is alive. Right? And Jesus... Spirit dwells within us, animating us, bearing witness with our own spirit that we are children of God, the Gospel of John says. So there's a lot that the Spirit is doing, bearing witness to Jesus, um, bearing fruit in our lives, right? How do, we, how do we know that Jesus, Spirit, the Holy Spirit, dwells within us? This promised Spirit. We stand up and confess this is so that we believe in the Holy Spirit. What are, what are we confessing? We're confessing that what Jesus' words in John are true. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans, right? I will not leave you as orphans, but I, I will send the Spirit of God who bears witness that you are children of God. Right? Jesus says this in, in his farewell address to his disciples because they were, they were distressed when he starts talking about him leaving as well we would have been. But Jesus has the audacity to say, you know, it's better for you if I leave. And we've talked about that the last couple of weeks. How, how is that so? Because Jesus is now going to be present in the gift of the Spirit. Jesus is going to be present in the gift of the Spirit in a way that even Jesus, God in the flesh, couldn't be present. Which was more than one place at a time. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth was still a human being. He's like you and me. Even though you and I wished we could be more places than one at a time. We haven't figured that out yet. Right? Um, even Jesus couldn't figure that out. But when he ascends and the Holy Spirit is given, the animating presence of Jesus is now made manifest and available to all those who trust in God through Christ and receive this gift, right? the gift of the Spirit. And I know we, we are right in the season of Christmas 
to call Jesus the greatest gift. We're not wrong about that. But it's interesting to note that the early church just called the Spirit the gift. Right? Um, because it's true that, I mean, this is why you can't sort of separate out and can't pit the different um, persons of the Trinity against each other. It's true. If God, if God had not created, we wouldn't be here. If Jesus had not come in the flesh, we wouldn't be here. But it's also true that if the Spirit hadn't been given and continued the work of Jesus, we also wouldn't be here. That isn't any less miraculous. And the fact that the Spirit is trying, is at work in our lives, creating us from one degree of glory to another into the full image of Christ, into the fullness of Christ, into our full humanity. That's a miracle, right? That you and I, as broken and frail as we are, and here we're being good Wesleyans, right? Um, that God is perfecting us through the Spirit. God is bringing us to completion. That we will be fully who God desired us to be, fully human, not subhuman, which is what we are now. This is the work of the Spirit. And so why should, why should we care? Because this, this is our life. Right? We talk about that in Christ we have been given new life. Well, this life is not just an abstraction. The new life that you and I have been given is precisely the life that's made possible by the animating work of the Spirit in our lives. If you and I find it possible to live in the world in a way that bears at least a modest harvest of the fruit of the Spirit. It's because the Spirit is at work. I mean, I am not on my own, in my own strength, in my own human capacities, capable of bearing the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. Maybe you are. I'm not. Not in, not in the full expression of those. And so, but this is, this is the life that God, and this is good news, because those fruit are the fruit that human beings bear when they are most fully human, when we are most fully who God created us to be. And so the reason we should care about praising, giving thanks, glorifying and worshiping the Holy Spirit and opening ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit day after day is because this is the only life that's truly life. It's the life that's made possible by the Spirit of Jesus dwelling in and through us. This is, this is what it means to be fully, truly alive is to have this breath of Jesus, right? It's not coincidence that in one of the Gospels, Jesus breathes on the disciples and says, receive 
the Holy Spirit, right? Which echoes that Genesis account, right? Of God breathing life-giving spirit into us. So this is, this is why we should care. The Spirit makes possible what God has always wanted possible, which is this ultimate communion with God. And it's made possible because God is with us. We are led by the Spirit. And as Paul says in Romans 8, it's the Spirit who bears witness with our spirit that we truly are children of God. And if children, Paul says, heirs, right? We're heirs with Christ. That we, we have become adopted. It's the spirit that makes it possible for us to cry, Abba, Father. It's the spirit who intercedes for us, who prays for us when we don't know what to pray. I mean, how many times this past year have we as a Sunday school class know that we needed to be praying for each other, but we honestly didn't know what to pray? There are plenty of days I don't know what to pray. Right? I want to pray for Wayne. Do I know exactly what Wayne needs? I don't know right now what Wayne needs in the way that God knows what Wayne needs. And it's a comfort to me that I can pray to God knowing that the Spirit, Paul says, prays for us when we don't know what to pray. That's a great comfort. If I thought I had to know what to pray, I don't have to know what to pray. That's a huge comfort to me in daily life. There are plenty of times I don't even know what to pray for myself. I don't know what I need. If I knew what I needed, I would have prayed for it before. Right? I wouldn't be in the state I'm in if I knew exactly what I needed. So this is a great gift that God has given us in the Spirit. There's so much to say. But as we celebrate Advent, and as we celebrate the Feast of Christmas this year, let's be, let's be reminded, let's be reminded that it's true that Jesus is, is and always will be the center of our faith. And yet, it's not so that God is done with us once Jesus comes, is born, has his ministry, died, is resurrected, and ascended. It's not like it's all finished then. No, it isn't. Because now the Spirit has to bring to completion the work begun in Christ. And God promises us that God will bring to completion the work that God has begun. And that's very good news. Because I'm more than aware on most days, and maybe you are too, that I am not yet what God would have me be. And it's easy to despair. Like, how do I, do I just try a little harder? Well, what we need to my place in that is to continue to open myself up to the work of God. Right? I can't fix myself. You can't either. But I can make myself available 
to this power that God has given us in the Holy Spirit, this transforming, life-giving power that we call the Holy Spirit. And that's part of the story of Christmas. Because this Spirit that dwells within us is the Spirit of Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. And here God is, is with us still today, right? That's very, very good news. And that's what we confess when we stand and say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. We are humbled, O oh God, when we pause to reflect even for a moment about the mystery that you are. And yet you have chosen to reveal enough of that mystery to make it possible for us to give thanks, to give praise, and to stand in wonder at who you are and what you have done. In the season of Advent and the coming days of Christmas, may we be grateful for the gift of Jesus through whom you have made it possible for us to be drawn back into communion with you. And may we be likewise thankful for the work of the Spirit of Jesus who continues to draw us more and more, transforming us, giving us life, leading us, bringing to maturation the fruit of the Spirit in our lives so that we might more and more come to reflect, come to embody the image of Christ in whom we've been created. May our hearts be filled with joy and assurance that by the work of the Spirit, you have sealed us in the Spirit, you have made the Spirit, the spirit a pledge, a promise, of the work that you are doing. And may we, by your Spirit, be more fully alive today and in the weeks to come, that the world might see that you have not left us orphaned, that you are at work in the world. We pray this through the one who is truly God with us, Jesus Christ. Thank <laughs> you.